Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Good morning, Vietnam! I have you now. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious... You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Hey, Pat. Hey, hey, John. Did you know you were listening to the 30-something movie podcast? I, I realize that now. You're, you know what? Not only that, you're on the 30-something movie podcast. Dream come true, John. It is a dream come true. Yeah. It's, you know, I, that's what I'm here for. I am here to fulfill all of your dreams. Uh, we might want to shut off the recorder, but okay. Let's, let's make that even more succinct. Pat, I am the man of your dreams. John, you are the man of my dreams. There we go. Good night, everybody. Uh, hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, we will see you all back here next time. Uh, this has been the 32nd podcast and, um, we will, uh, we'll see you back here next time. So have a good one. Go watch some good movies and, uh, Pat and I are out of here. Yep. Here we go. We should probably do the show. <sighs> I mean, people, people didn't just come here to the two of us banter and. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, are people here for the banter? Uh, I don't know. If you're here for the witty banter, uh, feel free to email us or call the voicemail line. Or <laughs> you should do. You should. You should put a poll in the field and be just like you know. What are your favorite parts of the show? The movie discussion, the banter, I, or I, listening to it eat. You know, I don't know. I would ask that. I don't know why putting a Polish person out there would make any difference. <laughs> Uh, I'm full of dad jokes. That was, that's option three. Option one, the movies. Option two, the banter. Or option three, um, the dad humor. Dude. Yeah, exactly. There you go. All right. Well, there's plenty of it. Um, so tonight we are talking. Well, it may not be tonight, wherever you're listening to this. Um, but uh, this time around, we are talking the secret of my success. So we are going to give away all the secrets of our success. Are you ready to give away the secrets of your success, Pat? Yeah, man, this end, it shouldn't take too long. <laughs> this will be the fastest podcast ever. There it is. Uh, the answer is C. Okay. Uh, very quickly, we do spoil the events of the movies we talk about. So if you have not seen The Secret of My Success yet, then you may want to go watch it and then come on back. So um, that being up front, we'll just say spoiler alert, and then we will move on. Uh, don't know that I necessarily have any new movie news this time around. Um we're only like, I mean, we're like less than 50 days away from what are we? We're like a month away at this point from when this episode would come out. I think we're like a month away from the last Jedi. Oh man. Well, when you put it like that, I know we've been doing the whole, uh, one star Wars movie a week leading up to that. Okay. So I'm trying to think, you know, we're kind of recording this one a little bit ahead of time. So I'm trying to think where we will be by the time this episode comes out. But, um, we were, 
we just finished episode three. So we just finished the, uh, just tonight we finished episode three. Um, okay. so yeah, so we, we made our way through the prequels. Um, as much as I enjoy every star Wars movie, episode two is a, is a, a, a bit of a drag, but we made yeah. it through. Um, it's got some good scenes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, episode three was tonight and, um, and I, I cannot wait then to get into the, this will be the first time that I've actually watched all of them in a, in a row like this, mm-hmm. including rogue one. So I'm really yeah. kind of curious to do like the, the back to back rogue one will be, you know, well, by now, by the time this recording comes out, we've probably already watched rogue one, but to do three, then rogue one and then four. Cool. When I first saw rogue one, when that came out in the theater and then saw episode four, maybe like a few weeks later, it really did change some of episode four for me. Oh yeah. Like it seemed like things, it seemed like not that it, it didn't change it in a bad way and it didn't really alter the story for me. It just, it seemed like it gave everything much higher stakes. Right. Like everything seemed much more serious in episode four. Um, and, and that doesn't mean yeah. it got rid of any of the fun or any of that. It just, it added another, another layer of, wow, there were people that actually died and sacrificed for you to get to where you are now. So like when, you know, in return of the Jedi, when they say something like many Bothans died to bring us this information, it would be like, you know, we actually got to see them die. Right. Which then I get, maybe that's rogue two, maybe rogue two. They come out with a story of how they got the plans to the second death star. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd be fine with that. I, I, hey, one Star Wars movie a year, there's what they're saying. Uh, Most Star Wars, mo' better. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got, I've got something to throw in for the new movie. Okay, so, and I'm just going to throw this out there, and you tell me that yeah. I'm online. We'll, do like the, we'll be like the spaghetti. Throw it on the wall, see if it sticks. So, Harrison Ford is not a fan of Han Solo. Correct. And for the most part, yeah. And and now I haven't had a conversation with him about it. And so all okay. I hear is, you know, what's on the internet and pictures and all that kind of stuff. You gotta but let I, me know what you do. Yeah, okay, I will. I'll call you. You're gonna be the first guy I call. So Wait. you know, I know that he's come out and said, Boy, I, I thought the Han Solo character was really, you know, he wasn't a fan of playing it. And then he, you know, talks about how he was really lobbying for Han Solo to not make it um, past Empire Strikes Back. They thought he should have died in the kryptonite or the <laughs> carbonite. Sorry. Um, you know, and so I'm like, OK, I, I get that. And, you know, I get that there's, you know, the actors, you know, they're a professional. They're getting hired to pay a gig. And, you know, he's coming back to do this character and, and, and it won't. You know, it's it's still in all a job, and and it's not like he is as enamored with the character as we are. Right. But then, in the same token, and maybe it was just the way it appeared on the internet and all that kind of stuff. But I just saw him kind of, it, you know, that it showed him like on some kind of a late night show, and he was holding up some sign about, um, you know, Han Solo must die, and 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 all that, and it was almost like not gleeful, but just silly, and and all that. And I, and I was just, I got the first little pang of, okay, maybe this is just getting a little over the top. Yeah. I could, be, I could be wrong. You pull me back. Maybe I was seeing, you know, a picture on the internet. Maybe the picture was, 
you know, you know how they put the, at the bottom of the serious, you know, news feeds or whatever, they got all those pictures with links to, Hey, click here. If you want to see the, you know, the true story of what happens and airlines and, uh, you know, and there's all that kind of silly stuff. So maybe that's where I saw it, but it just, I get the first few pangs of, you know, Harrison Ford kind of taking a dig at, at the Han Solo character. And it's, it's just like, I'm getting the first little inkling that, uh, okay, that's, that's a, that's a little bit too much for my taste. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Am I coming out of left field or do you get that vibe too? Or am I just deciding I wonder, to fixate? Well, I wonder if some of that is because it really seems like when they were leading up to the force awakens that for years and years and years, he was, I don't, I don't know that I want to say he was anti Han Solo, but he was just kind of like, uh, this is not the one I care about. You know, you want, you want to talk Indiana Jones? I'll talk Indiana Jones. Okay. Um, Han Solo was not the character that he wanted known for and i think that he he was getting the last several years he was really getting this image of he's just this he's just this old curmudgeon okay and i really think that and i don't know if that was a push by disney or lucasfilm or who but leading up to the force awakens he really started to come out on these other talk shows and and become much more personable okay and so i don't know if it's I don't know if someone told him, Hey, look, people are starting to think that you're just a grumpy old man mm-hmm. and you maybe need to change this perception. You know, if you want people to come see your movies, cause right, let's face it, Harrison Ford movies have not done amazing mm-hmm. in the last decade. Um, I don't know if it's an image thing. I don't know if it's they, you know, if his publicist or somebody said, Hey, look, you, you gotta, you gotta have a sense of humor about this stuff. And so yeah. I, I'm wondering sometimes if it's, if it's him kind of having, it's like a combination of his old man grumpiness with a, you know, merging into a dark sense of humor about, you know, joking around Han Solo must die. Cause he knows that people know about his attitudes towards that character. So maybe he's playing it off for a laugh. Okay. Is maybe my guess. And, and, uh, Again, I also uh, have not had a conversation with him, but once I do, I will ask him. Right. And again, I saw a screen, like a still, so I didn't know the context. If it was a late night talk show, you know, there's obviously a lot of comedy and a lot of shtick and all that. And, you know, Harrison Ford is, you know, a phenomenal actor and and just in a lot of my favorite movies. And so I I don't want to be just some guy, you know, angry at celebrities and all that kind of stuff. But it was just like the first little. okay, you know, maybe just kind of like let it go, maybe just realize that yeah sure it's your acting job but this is a character that you know means a lot to a lot of people so it, it maybe just you know just smile and nod well and that's what that's what used to when i heard this story um and this was years ago but i think it was not too long before he died um was what really made me sad about alec guinness right oh, yeah being the original um the original Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, that, that Obi-Wan Kenobi old Obi-Wan is probably, um, not as a kid, but in, as an adult, that's probably my favorite character in star Wars. Right. Is old Obi-Wan. And so, you know, as you and McGregor got older in his character and he started to emulate uh, and started to imitate more of the Alec Guinness mannerisms and speech and everything else. That's why that's one of the biggest things I like about episode three is him trying him looking more like and trying to sound more like Alec Guinness and just thought how cool that was. Um, so it kind of made me sad that 
I remember reading an article somewhere that right before he died, and I'm trying to think, um, oh, when did he die? Was it like 2002 or somewhere? I think it was like, I think it was like either late nineties or, or early two thousands. And he just had nothing nice to say about star Wars. Yeah. And I feel like I read an article somewhere where he actually like a kid, a little kid asked him for an autograph or asked him something about Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he just basically brushed off the little kid and he's like, well, you shouldn't like that garbage. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh dude, seriously that, <laughs> I mean, you're one of the, even if you don't like it, it mm-hmm. you did something that a lot of people enjoy and why do you have to, why would you take something that would bring people joy and just crap all over it? Yeah. So I, that, and, and that kind of, I mean, he's still, again, he's still my favorite character and he's still a great actor, but that kind of, that kind of took him down a peg in terms of my respect for him when I heard that he had, and, and hopefully that story is totally wrong. Um, right. But when I heard right. that, I was like, oh, that just, that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I'm sure that there's, you know, I, I could imagine what my brother would be saying if I was having this conversation. He'd be like, who the heck cares what any of those guys think? They, they're not your friends. You don't, who cares? They're just some guy. Yeah, they're good actors, but you either like their movies and they don't. Don't worry about what they say. But a little, and I so mean, like, in that situation, a little kid meeting, getting to meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I mean, I that's agree. kind of, you know, that, but that's the part that's really not cool. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, celebrities, celebrities are people too, so they can think whatever they want about their own roles and, and, you know, they'll, they can hate movies that I love and that's totally fine. But when you've got a little kid who's a fan, you just don't, I yeah. don't treat on that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, don't know about, I don't know if Harrison Ford is still that way or if it's kind of a, if he's kind of poking fun at himself for his attitudes about it or. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I, again, I don't want to, I don't want to derail the podcast, but that was just a little bit of the, the, the star Wars thing that as, as Jeff would say, I'll borrow a line from him. I kind of bumped on some yeah. of that. And so yeah. I was just throwing it out there. See what you thought. Yeah. But I, Oh man, it, I can only, well, I, that's not even true. I was going to say, I can only rewatch the last Jedi trailer so many times. Um, I will continue to watch it so many times until the movie comes out. And uh, yeah. there are even still new things that, you know, I've, I've looked at some of the stuff on like toys that are coming out and I, now I'm starting to, I don't know any of the story, you know, cause they, they keep it under wraps enough that I don't really feel like I know the story at all, but I'm starting to get, and I'm not going to say anything here cause I don't want to spoil anything with like weird, wild speculation, but I'm starting to get some hints at what the story could be and what the way there might be a twist to certain characters and okay. I'm really like, I'm really interested to see what they do with this. Cool. I, I really can't wait. And we have, we kind of have a running gag every time we walk by or see a movie poster or something like that is uh, there's kind of a running thing on the internet where, and, and Mark Hamill himself has even fueled this where you look at the star Wars posters and the villain is always in the background. Right. So Mark Hamill himself started putting up posters of all the star Wars movies. And then he included the poster from the last Jedi where Luke Skywalker's in the back. Right. And he's like, what do you think everybody? 
And so now we kind of have this running thing where if John Ezra and I, my son, John, if he and I will see the last Jedi posters somewhere, we'll be like, eh, who's in the background? Who's in the background? Is Luke a bad guy? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. And then John was actually, he was on a website the other day looking up some Star Wars stuff and he found a Japanese Star Wars poster and he's like, dad, dad, look who's in the background of this one. And Ray is in the background of this poster. Who was it? Ray was. Oh, Ray, so, now Ray so now I'm like, are they just messing with us? There's messing with you. Is it? And then there was another, there was like a theater display somewhere or maybe like a video game display or a, a store display somewhere. And they had, um, it was two different cardboard stand-up things, like these huge cardboard displays that they have. And you could either choose the light side or the dark side. And so on the light side, they had all of the good characters like Finn and Ray and Poe Dameron and BB-8 and, and Chewbacca and all that. And on the dark side, they had Captain Phasma. They had General Hux. They had First Order Troopers. They had um, Supreme Leader Snoke. But then on both sides, both the light and the dark, there was Luke Skywalker. Huh. So now people are like, well, well what, is, what does that even mean? And of course, Mark Hamill, he loves to tease people on Twitter. So he's been like throwing out all kinds of crazy stuff left and right. And he's like, maybe Snoke is my father. I'm like, what? And so he's just, he likes to, play, he likes to play with people. But I, the movie just needs to come out. That, that's the whole moral of my story is the movie just needs to come out because I'm tired of waiting for it. Right. Nope. I agree, man. I agree. Um, I'm going to wait and listen to this podcast the day before uh, last Jedi comes out. So then I'll feel like I didn't have to wait so long. Right. Which Remember a trash can. Remember a trash can. Iron Maiden. Excellent. Okay. Um, shall we, uh, should we give away all of our secrets? Dude, let's do it. Give I love secret. the 80s. Oh man. 80. The, that's the whole reason we started this podcast in the first place, but eighties movies are so awesome. Yeah, they are. Oh, okay. Let's go. Uh, this one is the secret of my success came out on the 10th of April, 1987 rated PG 13 was one hour and 51 minutes directed by Herbert Ross, who died in 2001. He also directed footloose steel magnolias and my blue heaven produced by Herbert Ross, who also produced my blue heaven and boys on the side ready. Let's try that again. I don't know what word that was. It, uh, I can't identify it, but it was fun to listen to. That word will remain a secret and was not <laughs> successful in any way. Uh, right. Let's try the word writers. Writers. Okay. It was the, I think it was the difficulty of the W sound right next to the R sound and how, you know, I've been successful with that sound my entire life, but I felt like this one time I needed to be humiliated and humbled. Well, yeah, maybe just one slip up, you know? Yeah. So, we're good. We've got it done. I think I'm good for the rest of my days. Uh, writers for this one, now that I can say it correctly, writers for this one were Jim Cash, who died in 2000, and he wrote Top Gun and Dick Tracy. Jack Epps Jr. also wrote Top Gun and Dick Tracy. A.J. Carruthers, who died in 2007, wrote The Happiest Millionaire and Nanny and the Professor. Cinematography was done by Carlo De Palma, who died in 2004. Uh, also did the cinematography for Hannah and Her Sisters and Mighty Aphrodite. The music was done by David Foster, who also did St. Elmo's Fire and Fresh Horses. The budget for this one was somewhere between 12 and 18 million, and the box office came out to 111 million. There you go. Michael J. Fox, so did well. Michael J. Fox tends to do well in his movies. 
Uh, Michael J. Fox played Brantley Foster slash Carlton Whitfield. He was in the Back to the Future movies, Teen Wolf and Family Ties. Helen Slater played Christy Wills. She was in Supergirl, City Slickers, and Ruthless People. Uh, Richard Jordan, who died in 1993, was Howard Prescott. He was in The Hunt for Red October, Dune, and Logan's Run. Yep. Witten was uh, died in 2016. She played Vera Prescott. She was in Little Monsters and Major League. John Pankow, who played Fred Melrose, was in Mad About You and To Live and Die in L.A. Christopher Murney played Barney Radigan. He was in Barton Fink and The Last Dragon. Uh, Jerry Bamman played Art Thomas. He was in Home Alone and The Bodyguard. Fred Gwynn, who died in 1993, played Donald Davenport. He was Herman Munster from The Munsters. He was also in Pet Cemetery and My Cousin Vinny. What do you mean, Utes? <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of Utes. <clears throat> uh, Carol Ann Susie, who died in 2014, played Jean. She was in The Big Bang Theory and Death Becomes Her. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics and the audience both gave this one a 58%. Uh, so not fans of the movie on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics have said, uh, Richard Harrington of the Washington Post said, obviously no new ground is being broken here, but the director Ross keeps things humming in an endearingly old fashioned way. Yeah. Vincent Canby of the New York Times said the movie builds up a lot of goodwill early on, which is needed when the time comes to resolve its farcical complications. And then here's what was kind of funny because we had Vincent Canby. We actually referred to last week with wall street and he was not a fan of wall street, but he did like this one. Uh, Roger Ebert, who was a big fan of wall street did not like this movie. Roger Ebert of the Chicago sun times said, does the movie really believe anyone is as stupid as these characters? And does it care? One and a half out of four stars. So, no, and no. In Roger, Roger got out of the wrong side of the bed that day. Yeah, no, it's, but it's not supposed to be realistic. Right. It's, it's supposed to be a farce. It's supposed to be, it's, it's what's called comedy. But instead, so show some like <clears throat> low budget horror movie with flying cars and glowing aliens and vampires feasting on people and all that. And we all think it's like, you know, the greatest thing of all, I don't know. Well, you just described a movie that I would definitely go watch. Well, yeah, I know. It's, it's just, it's just, I, I just don't, I'm not on the same level. And it I just think. Sounds, it kind of sounds like you mixed together Lost Boys and Repo Man, and I'm kind of intrigued now. Not Lost Boys and Repo Man. Um, I just picked a vampire, Near Dark? Near Dark. Okay. All right. Near, near Dark, Repo Man. Yeah. And, and, or what was the, the one with the, the dead? I just think sometimes critics, and maybe this is where they get the reputation, they like to go for the weird thing just to go for the weird thing. Yeah, it could be. And, well, and, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be a little prov provocative. Otherwise nobody's going to read you. Yeah, I, I get it. I just, I just, I just don't get it. I yeah. just don't get it. Just don't get it. Well, and that was the thing when I was in, when I was in, uh, when I was working for a newspaper in college, that was kind of the thing about being a columnist was it's all well and good if you're an excellent writer, but you gotta like, you gotta be able to push the envelope a little bit in terms of what you say, I mean, you gotta say stuff that's got to spark anger or discussion or you know you want to have people be outright enraged at you but you gotta you gotta write something that's gonna provoke a reaction out of people yeah 
So, and that was kind of always the thing was, yeah, if you're going to be, cause that's kind of what I was, I, I originally tried to, I applied for a columnist position at the newspaper and they're like, no, you're, you're an excellent writer. Your, your, your writing is, is beautiful, but you just didn't, you, you didn't, you didn't make us angry enough or you didn't make us feel enough with this, or you didn't, you gotta, you gotta be more provocative. And I'm like, well, all right. I don't know that I feel like lying. They're like, no, 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 don't lie. You just, you just gotta, you know, say it in such a way that it provokes a reaction out of people. I'm like, well, okay. So I, I clearly was not columnist material, at least not at that newspaper. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, awards for this one was nominated for best original song, uh, from the golden globes. It did win a BMI film music award, uh, for the composer, David Foster. All right, here is the official uh, 30-something, 30-second summary for The Secret of My Success. Here we go. In a world where everyone has a pretentious waspy name, Brantley Foster left the comforts of country life in Kansas to make it big in the Big Apple, but he's either over or underqualified. Eventually, he gets a job at his uncle's company starting in the mailroom. He unknowingly sleeps with his Aunt Vera and steals the identity of Carlton Whitfield. Brantley falls for Christy, the only woman exec at the company. Through a series of Benny Hill-esque doorway chases, it's revealed that Brantley is Whitfield and maybe Finkel is Einhorn, but that's a different movie. Brantley hatches a plot to rid the company of its inept executives and ends up taking over himself with the help of Vera, Christy, and Fred. Michael J. Fox is Brantley Foster. He came to New York to make it on his own. You're fired, kid. Sorry. Mom, I'm doing great. New York is just like Kansas. Intensified. Luckily, he didn't have to. I need a job, Uncle Howard. Around here, I'm Mr. Prescott. They started him at the bottom. Show the college, puke the ropes, and keep them out of my face. But he had a secret way. <gasps> Of starting at the top. This is Carlton Whitfield. Carlton Whitfield? Well, I didn't hire any Carlton Whitfield. There's something going on around here, Foster. He was trying to stay one jump ahead of everyone else. If you're under the second lap, you still got a comfortable lead. When his uncle's wife got the jump on him. Ah! What the hell happened? He fainted. That's when he met her. Tonight? Booked. Tomorrow night? Booked. All right, but don't beg, okay? It's embarrassing. They were a merger made in heaven. That wasn't bad. That's when everything else... Howard, please. ...went to hell. I never slept with the boss. No, you slept with the boss's wife. Will you marry? No, but I'd like to beat that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The sexual revolution is over. Everybody out of bed. Michael J. Fox. The secret of my success. So I was not able to find a whole lot of background on this movie. Um, the only thing, really kind of the only thing of note that I found was that in the original script, it was more about a young man working for his uncle and falling in love with his uncle's prostitute. Oh, geez. Uh, and they apparently, Universal uh, called in um, the writers of this and said, we need you to rewrite the script. And so in the rewrite that they did, they changed the character of Christy Wills, Christy Willis from a, let's say Willis says Willis here, but I think her name was Wills in the movie. Might have been Willis. Um, But anyway, they changed her from a prostitute to a mistress. And then they added in the whole plot line of Aunt Vera uh, wanting to get with uh, Brantley. So a few changes in the script here and there. All right. So uh, let's go with our typical first question here. When was the first time you saw this movie? A day ago. A day ago. So you had not seen this one before. I had not even heard of it before. Oh, okay. In fact, in fact, this is how in the dark I remained when I opened it up on the computer to take a look at it. 
it the the you know sometimes there's like a screen capture or something when, when I opened it up in the drive to watch it, and it the, the first guy they showed was um, when uh, when Michael J. Fox is kind of like sneaking around the uh, office, the abandoned office, and the phone rings, and he yeah. picks it up. The guy on the other end, that was the first image. So I didn't even know Michael J. Fox was in the movie until the thing, you know, till the credits started rolling. So. Yeah, it was. I was like completely surprised. Nice. So uh, on your first viewing, because I've, I've probably seen it a couple times at this point. Uh, okay. On your first, what would you think of it? Oh, I loved it. I came away with it <clears throat> thinking, man, this is why I love the eighties. This is this is fun. This is cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I was trying to remember when I first saw this movie. I I want to say it might have been. Uh, it might have been one of those movies we we talked last week uh, last week's show about uh, when we were talking Wall Street. Um, it might have been one of the movies that I would have rented around about a time that I was renting a whole bunch of movies in college and renting things like along a similar theme. So if I was renting like business or Wall Street or stock market movies of the '80s or stuff like that, it's possible that this would have been one of the ones that I rented to go along with my other movies in that theme. Okay. Otherwise, I. <sighs> I don't remember seeing this one as a kid. Like, I don't know. I don't know that this would have been one that I would have watched with my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, he, I mean, he kind of liked, he kind of liked some of these movies that were, you know, the kind of the funny, he liked Michael J. Fox. He liked teen wolf. He liked back to the future. Um, but I just don't remember seeing it as a kid. I remember seeing it at, at the very least it was high school, maybe college. Um, but this is probably, this is the second time I've seen this movie all the way through. Okay. Uh, there've been times where like, I would be flipping through channels and maybe on like a Saturday afternoon or something, I would come across this one, um, and, and watch bits and pieces of it. But, um, yeah, no. And, and sometimes I would get, uh, I would get this one confused with some of the other, um, Michael J. Fox movies. Okay. There's like the Doc Hollywood one, or there's some of the others that he did. Um, and I would always kind of in my head, unless it was really Teen Wolf or Back to the Future, I'd kind of get some of these others confused. Okay. So, um, but yeah, same thing. I mean, I, I like this movie, so I've seen it a couple of times now. And uh, I like this movie, like, just like you said, it's kind of the fun, goofy stuff of the 80s. Um, you know, that you don't, I guess you have some movies now that that try to, elicit the same feeling, you know, that it's kind of, it's a, it's a movie about business and trying to do something in, in a, in a very serious way, but it's also going to have the comedy. It's going to have the physical comedy. It's going to have the, you know, goofy slapstick stuff. It's going to have, um, you know, mistaken identity. It's going to have like all those things, all the hallmarks of a good comedy are going to be in there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think I, this is one, this is one that I definitely like. It's again, not one that I'll necessarily go seek out, uh, right. but you know, if it's on TV or if I happen to spot it somewhere, then I might stop and watch it for a few minutes. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's just it's something about Michael J. Fox. We were talking about this before we started recording something about Michael J. Fox is he, his movies tend to, or in there for a stretch, at least in the eighties tended to do pretty well. And I don't think, you know, he's not, he's not an overly tall and, and handsome leading man 
kind of thing. He always, you know, even as he got older, he still looked very boyish. Um, looked very, still looked very young and he's obviously not a very tall guy. I think he's only like five foot four. Um, so as a leading Hollywood man, he, he doesn't have some of those qualities going for him, but he still does well because I think when I think of him, I think of like Tom Hanks and I think of Tom Hanks as being like a genuinely nice guy. Right. Right. Like if you were going to, if you're going to go somewhere and sit down and have a beer or have a cup of coffee or something, um, you know, if it was going to be with a celebrity, I would pick somebody like a Michael J. Fox or a Tom Hanks because based on interviews I've seen or based on their movies and just the attitude that kind of comes across, I would think that these guys are just nice guys. Right. Right. Okay. They're very, they're very likable. And no matter what role they're in, they're likable. Yes. Agreed. So, yeah. Um, so let me, let me ask you this one. What's up with all the incest in Michael J. Fox movies? I don't know, man, but you know, his sister, this is his aunt. Now, I don't think this is blood relation. No. So, I mean, I guess he's got that going for him. But, but I mean, like, like Back to the Future, it's his mom. And this one, it's yeah, his there, There's a lot of that going around. There's a... Uh, maybe that's the true secret to his success. Yeah, maybe. Keeping that a secret. Yeah, I just I thought about that as watching this one because because that had I had kind of forgotten that part of the movie that it was the ant that was kind of chasing him around um, the entire time, and because I remember watching I I picked up I was watching it it came on TV years ago and I started watching it again, um, and I remember it came to that scene where like she he's trying to crawl away from her in the office and she's like pulling his tie and trying to pull his pants off and you know, pull this jacket off and then they end up on top of each other on the, on the couch when the husband walks in. Right. And I had kind of, I had forgotten that that was his aunt. I remember when I was watching that, it was, I just thought it was like the boss's wife. Right. And I, right. I had kind of forgotten at that point that he was related to the boss and then therefore that's his aunt. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, that, that just, it was a little weird little thing that as I was thinking about it, I was like, Hmm, this tends to happen a lot in Michael J. Fox movies. Yeah, it's a little weird, a little weird, but what can you do? Weird. Um, so I, a little bit more about uh, kind of why you like this movie. Is it, um, are there any scenes in particular that you thought, you know, either particularly funny or particularly likable as, you know, with, with Michael J. Fox or any of the other characters in particular? Well, it, I love the copious use of montages. Um, so that's fun. Yeah, I, I like the scene where he's first in New York and calling his parents, and he's on the payphone, and the be- the the store is robbed right behind him, and there's the gunfight, and the bullets are shattering the glass of the payphone, and he's like, "Yeah, mom, I'm just watching a movie," and you know that scene was kind of funny. Um, yeah. But other than that, you know, I, just overall, because it's got fun characters, and it's a fun story, and it's about the guy that. You know, he's he's able to work his way into the leadership of the business. And, you know, it all they, they the bad guys figured out right at the end, you know, that he's not supposed to be who he is or, or where he is. And he's not who he says he is. But it all works out anyway. And the bad guys get their comeuppance and the good guys take over the company. And there's a big, you know, cue the 80s music and everyone's happy. And that's that. Yeah. And that's fun. I mean, that's that's kind of fun to just go see a movie and not be invested you know 
so deeply in this this story that's just going to cause you to, you know, question your place in this world and question the world and all this. I mean, that's important, but maybe not every single time you see a movie. So it was nice just to kind of watch a movie. No, it was like just happy ending. Everything works out. It wasn't necessarily frivolous, but it wasn't this big, deep social commentary. It was just fun. Yeah. Yeah. I I think looking at, you know, looking at some of the stuff that they did in this movie, I, I think about other movies that have done similar things. You know, you've got like the, all the people running around in the mansion at night, uh, you know, running into the different rooms and running down the hallways and going into the different doorways. And it you know, kind of reminded me of, you know, there's a, a little bit of, a little bit of clue in there, a little bit of, mm-hmm. uh, Oh, what was the, there was a really bad one that I think we reviewed a year ago or so haunted honeymoon, uh, was one of the Razzie movies from one year. Uh, okay. you know, there was, you know, it's a little bit like, like that, and Benny Hill, I don't think was the original one to do it, but Benny Hill and then Scooby-Doo would do it a lot where you've got like the hallway of doors. Mm-hmm. You have that whole okay. thing. Like people are, you know, one group of people, they're chasing each other. You know, they go in one door and then all of a sudden they come out another door. And you right. Keep- no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember who originated that. I, I wanted to say Benny Hill, but I'm not sure if he was the first to do that, but it kind of that vibe to it is you've got people sneaking around and, you know, somebody sneaking into this room and, you know, who are they? Are they going to, end up crawling into bed with this person and, or they, you know, this one got the wrong room and, you know, so that, that kind of stuff. I mean, that, that's classic comedy stuff. So anytime you do any kind of that, I'm, I'm automatically going to like it. And, um, you know, kind of the whole, the whole idea of the hiding your identity where Mm -hmm. he's got to like change his clothes all the time. And, and, uh, you know, the running gag of him either being in the elevator and it getting stuck or his, his secretary keeps seeing him without his clothes on. Right. I, my my one favorite time is where he's trying to change in the elevator and all he knows he's not going to make it. And so the door opens and all he's got on is his underwear, his socks and a tie. And he just yes. starts with like the, the bodybuilder pose. Yes. Yes. And he's just like, he just like grabs his pants and be like, can you put these to take these to the dry cleaner for me? Thanks. Yes. That was awesome. That was a great scene. Yeah. But just a lot of those kind of like the, the running gags throughout the movie and the, you know, the, um, I think that's something that I, I tend to like in a comedy movie is the scenes where, you know, somebody has got to make a quick change to change identities so that they can fool somebody else. You know, there used to be the, uh, Oh, I, I guess that's a little bit of a Superman Clark Kent thing where you got to, you know, change your clothes and go save the day or change back into, into Clark Kent before somebody notices that you and you and Superman are the same person. And, um, that old TV show with Tom Hanks again was in that, uh, bosom buddies where they had to dress up as the women Mm-hmm. live in that uh, apartment complex and uh mrs doubtfire that one yep i was just gonna say that mrs doubtfire yeah so i, I think you know that kind of thing too i've always i've always kind of gravitated towards movies that have that aspect to them because to me that's just kind of a you know it's funny to watch somebody have to go through all that and all, all the jump through to, to try to you know do whatever it is you got to do and so i think that's probably one of the reasons i like this one is because it has similar situations and it's got a similar vibe to other comedy movies that I like. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. And it's kind of, as we talked last week, this is like, you have the one view of uh, business in the eighties 
when we talked about Wall Street last week, and this is like on the other far end of the spectrum, where it's more of just like a, hey, it's this kid, and he he looks at things around him, and he's like, these are not working the way they're supposed to. I got a better way, and I think I can make this company work, and we're going to have fun doing it. Right. Right. And it's just fun. I mean, Gordon Gecko, he seems like he maybe is having fun doing it, but it's like an evil fun. Right. Whereas Michael J. Fox is, you know, he genuinely wants to do good things. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I don't know if I have too I mean, other than just to say this, this is a fun movie and Michael J. Fox is a very likable actor and character and um, uh, Helen Slater is not bad looking. Uh, no. I, the whole, the whole bit with the ant is just, I just, I just, all those different parts. It's just really funny. Oh yeah. And, and, and even once she finds out that that's her nephew, she, she doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, that whole thing is funny. I mean, right from the first get go when they're in the pool, when they're in the pool playing the jaws music. Yes. That's pretty funny. And yeah, it's just, everything is just, it's well, it's, it's just well-crafted comedy. So, so I don't know that I have too much, I, it's a little bit of a shorter episode, I guess, because I don't have too much else to say about the movie. It's just one of those fun movies. If you like, if you, if you like those movies about, uh, you know, business or the stock market in the eighties, but you want something a little more lighthearted than say a wall street, then this would be a fun one. If you like, you know, some of those like, uh, dual identity movies like a Mrs. Doubtfire or something like that. And then there's a lot of that going on in this movie. A lot of fun side characters too. Like his, you know, his boss down in the mail room chasing him around. Yeah. And you know, some of the guys in the boardroom are kind of funny guys and, and how the, the, the middle level manager that's always questioning him and everything is just like, I am going to tell Mr. So-and-so what you said. And you know, and then the one guy goes to make his report and he says, do a good job. Just make sure it's not boring. And the guy's like, oh, you're always calling. Okay, fine. Well, then you won't make the report. And I'm going to tell Mr. So-and-so what you said. It just, the way they, they, they painted those guys, that was kind of fun. Yeah. And he is, if, if, he didn't, if he didn't go to business school, then he was definitely an English major. Because uh, of the, where he has to lie his way through something. I think of like every essay I ever wrote where I just BSed my way through whatever I needed to do without doing any kind of reading. Mm-hmm. I can, I could write an essay like nobody's business without doing any kind of preparation. And I can talk my way through anything when he gets to the part where he's in that one boardroom and, he, and the guy's like, how did you know I wrote that memo? And he's like, well, yeah. David, Davis, who else could have written that memo? Yeah. I mean, that, that memo, that memo wasn't a memo. That memo was literature. That memo was inspired. That memo, just that part, that whole thing where he's just be If, a, you, be a if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish yeah. anything. No, I. Yeah. That's, no, a, that's, the, that's the fun thing about him as an actor and about the characters that he tended to, that he tended to, uh, to take on was there's something very wholesome about them. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's that kind of wholesome America. So I, there it's kind of the, it is the opposite of a wall street because if wall street was supposed to show the excess of the eighties and the, the decadence of the eighties and all that, and so show kind of the harsh corrupt side of it, then you've got the other side of it where I think 
part of the eighties too, was people trying to, you know, I'm using quote fingers here, bring back the, uh, good old days of the 1950s. And so you had, you had like the, the weird juxtaposition of, that's a big word. Um, the juxtaposition of the decadence and the corruption and the whatever of wall street. And on the other side of that, with the eighties, you also had kind of the conservative family values of like the 1950s, the good old days. Um, right. And, and I think Michael J. Fox is kind of, he would be like the, the figurehead for that movement. I think is you've got somebody who's just, he's likable. He's like, you know, he's, he's like a supporting character from leave it to beaver. Right, exactly. But with the other, you know, 80s, 80s actor charm. The 80s. So, all right. I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about it. It's a good movie. Yeah, I think, John, I think we're, we're it's the curse of a good movie. Hey, good movie, good scenes, fun. Yeah. Go check it out. We'll see ya. In the meantime, if you would like to get a hold of us and, and talk to us a little bit more about any of these movies we've talked about lately, if you disagree with us, if you agree with us, if you just want to send us a message and let us know what you're thinking, uh, feel free to do that. If you go to our website, 30podcast.com, 30podcast.com, that'll have all the different ways you can get in touch with us. We've got a voicemail line, we've got email, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Um, so you can go ahead and go there and that'll give you all the ways you can get in touch with us. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the show, we are on Stitcher, Satchel, Google Play Podcasts, iTunes, and you can listen from 30podcast.com. Um, but yeah, so we are we are all those different places if you want to get in touch with us. If you've got any suggestions for next year, because next year is our 1988 movies, we are starting to plan out the schedule for 88. So if you've got any suggestions, please feel free to get in touch with us any of those ways and let us know if there's any movies that you think we should be watching uh, next year when we're talking about the 1988 movies. So, um, yeah, coming up for the rest of the month of November, we've got our Money, Money, Money Month, and we've got Baby Boom, Can't Buy Me Love, and we're going to finish it off with Justice League. In December is our Leftovers Month with Fatal Attraction, The Disaster Artist uh, from 2017, Ernest Goes to Camp, Throw Mama from the Train, Star Wars The Last Jedi, also 2017, and uh, we're going to somewhere in there throw in the 75th anniversary Casablanca episode. Uh, Jeff was really wanting to do that one, so we're going to get that fit in there somewhere in the next month and a half. So, have we given away all of our secrets? John, I think we've given away all our secrets. Okay, the secrets have all been revealed. Um, yeah. So, in the meantime, thank you, Pat. Thank you, John. All right. We will see you all back here next time for Baby Boom. Um, but in the meantime, be excellent to each other and go watch some good movies. Bye.